When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Secrets, cover-ups, and strange phenomena. UFOs and ideas that challenge reality itself. All these mysteries, all this time. Are we ever going to get to the bottom of these? My name is George Knapp. I dig into news stories that others can't or won't. I'm Jeremy Corbell, and for some reason, people tell me things they probably shouldn't. And this is Weaponized. Weaponized. This is Weaponized. Welcome back. Yeah, it is. It is weaponized again. Oh my gosh! Backed by popular, but it's backed by unpopular demand. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I yeah. thought I thought maybe we might take a a walk, a stroll down memory lane, and we're not talking about memories a millennia ago or decades ago. Something fairly recent that you were and I were involved in that I think is probably about ninety percent your fault, ten percent Joe Rogan's fault. Oh shit! Storm fifty one. Okay. Really you want to do this right now? Okay. Storming Area 51, where conspiracy theorists think the government has aliens on ice. It appears the U.S. Air Force is taking these threats seriously. A Facebook post, an avowed fake designed to get likes, announced a plan to raid the Air Force base in Nevada, known as Area 51, which has been at the center of UFO and alien conspiracy theories for decades. More than one million people have signed up. It's been enough to spook the Air Force. Air Force officials don't want people to trespass on the base. They are worried some might be killed. Quote, any attempt to illegally access military installations or military training areas is dangerous. There has been renewed interest in UFO sightings since it was revealed earlier this year. The military has spent $22 million to research UFOs. It's not clear the 1.1 million Facebook followers who said they are going to storm Area 51 are real and not Russian bots. First of all, George Knapp, storm Area 51 is your fault and it's Bob Lazar's fault. So I'm going to just step back and, and, okay, for our audience, check this out. Everybody should remember there was a big cultural event a movement based upon the idea of storming Area 51, which is a horrible idea. And uh, how that came into being, in my understanding, was that in 1989, you did an interview with Bob Lazar and told the world with Bob that there were UFOs at Area 51. So that is really why it got on the radar from, from my perspective and probably popular perspective that the storm thing happened. But there's a very specific story here um, how that occurred. So look, man, people knew that at Area 51, there was this potential, this idea that Bob Lazar might be telling the truth and there's reverse engineering and exploitation of propulsion systems of alien spacecraft. I mean, just wild, right? So what happens is, and I'm so tired today, so we're gonna, I'm just gonna take this easy, okay? It's been a long month or so. What happened was, in my perspective, is that 
I released the film Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers. That was the first time, and that was the point of my film, was to allow people to see that Bob Lazar was a person that makes coffee, has dogs, and a wife, and is a human being, and they can't dehumanize somebody uh, and dismiss what they've said. They should dismiss what they said based on the evidence of what they said. So I did the movie, which was not easy to make, and I was very happy and excited. And I remember coming to you and saying, I think I'm going to make this, I think I'm going to be able to make this movie. I need from you, because, you know, we'd worked on this so much, but I need from you, like, full attention. I need full clips. I need video. I need background. I need to find out if, if I, I just wanted to know if Bob was telling the truth, but at this point, it was just, let's see who Bob really is. So I came to you, and I, I have this picture, <laughs> and it's in your living room. And it's all these images of scenes, like what I think I should, how I should lay this out. And thank you, because you were like, check it out, man. You're jumping ahead. You got to go back to the beginning so people can get caught up. So, so this is moving towards the Storm Area 51 thing. Well, the seeds of Storm Area 51 started, as you said, in 1989. We did unleash this series about UFOs, the best evidence, and the heart of that series was about Bob Lazar, his allegations, his outrageous stories, outrageous claims about what was hidden out there in the Nevada desert. And then they exploded like an atomic bomb. My fellow journalists, many of whom are still at this, picking and nitpicking and, and complaining about it 30-some um, years later, really hated it. The public ate it up. Public couldn't get enough of it. They wanted more, and I gave them more. But... Uh, other reporters felt I was somehow bringing the profession into disrepute, somehow uh, smearing their, their own credibility for taking this stuff seriously. I tried to approach it as just another news story. And it, it was an explosion. I mean, you know, there had been one or two stories about Area 51 in the years since, but very few. I mean, KLAS-TV, a colleague, friend of mine, Richard Urey, had done a series about the history of the base. Bob Stodall and Ned Day had done some reporting on it and secret projects out there, but the public had no idea around the world. They had no idea that such a place existed. Once that story about Bob Lazar came out, the whole world beat a path to Area 51's door. And although, I, as I said, journalists gave me the worst time about it and were the, the most critical about it, every major news organization in the world beat a path to Area 51's door. To sit out there, to photograph and record on video cameras, whatever was flying around, to write stories, to make fun of crazy UFO people. It, it became world famous. Uh, a couple of years later, the state of Nevada dedicated the world's only ET highway, extraterrestrial highway. The governor came out there. By the way, it was on my birthday in 1996. <laughs> I thought, wow, it's a really nice birthday present. We flew in in a helicopter. They had the the cast and crew, the director and producer of the movie Independence Day out there for the big ceremony, and they created the world's only extraterrestrial highway, which, of course, it was a big jolt to tourism out there. The little alien was born. The Alien Research Center in Heiko was born. It, it was tremendous, you know, and since then, in all the years since, um, tens of thousands of people have made that trek out there. And every single day you go out in the Nevada desert, there are people sitting there looking to see what's in the sky. 
that curiosity never went away. The interest in Bob Lazar's story waned after a while. Bob didn't want anything to do with it. The only time he'd come out and talk about it is if it was an anniversary and I went and twisted his arm and pulled him out of his house and made him go on camera. He would give me, because of our friendship, he'd give me a, uh, an interview, but he wanted nothing to do with it and it sort of nosedived until you came along. So I'm recalculating my math on whose fault Storm 51 is. I'll give 20% to Bob, 60% to you, and the other 20% to Joe Rogan. Okay, okay. But hold on. <laughs> Whatever your math is, I'm not great at math, but we're going to recalculate this further. <laughs> so you are admitting that the, the Storm Area 51 phenomenon, that that thing would not have occurred if you hadn't told people that there are people from within government coming out saying we're reverse engineering alien spacecraft. You admit this much that when you did that in 1989, that's when people fucking learned about it, right? It put it on the map and then it went away. Okay. And it was gone. Okay, so I'm just, okay, I'm personally curious. <laughs> what did you think when I told you, I got it, Bob's agreed, we're gonna do it. Not a, not a short clip, not a, not a because of something happened we're gonna tell this story in full feature film format even though i'm not like a known filmmaker he is, he's agreed what did you think well I, I was initially skeptical because bob has been so reluctant to fully commit to something like that you know we've done a lot of stories over the years um intermittently and uh you know he's tried to put it behind him he is not a guy who lives off of this he has a business and a life and a family and would like it to go away. So the idea that he would commit to opening up completely to you, I, I found that uh, I'll believe it when I see it. The second part is the story's complicated. It's not simple. It, it's not a simple thing. You, I, I see people on social media even now who make up their minds. I believe Bob. I don't believe Bob. Here's why I believe him. Here's why I don't. And they know so little about what really has gone on, the undercurrents of the story, what it was like to be around then. You know, I can understand people being skeptical about it. It's outrageous. It's, it's off the charts. It's crazy. Um, and it's a lot less crazy now that people are talking about reverse engineering programs and legacy UFO programs. But back then, it, it was right out of the blue. And, and I could see people not believing it. But, you know, there was so much that happened that, that is hard to convey from back in those days, things that were going on behind the scenes, the terror that was real, you know, the, the people that were following us around and messing with us and breaking into his homes and burglarizing his car and playing mind games with him and scaring the hell out of him. I mean, it was real stuff. It was really going on. So, you know, look, um, my aim, and, and there's so many funny things I could tell you about making the film, but like my aim was like, Finally, after all these years, I, I just want people to see kind of like who he is. But you were so, it was so funny, man. I guess things had gone so wrong for you with like, you know, trying to, you know, kind of fully get, you know, his attention with this. That it was like when, when finally I'm like filming in his kitchen and he's making coffee, which I, I think I put that in the way. I made sure yeah, to it's show. In there. Is yeah. it in there? It's a great I don't scene. remember. Yeah, great scene. Um, but it was just like this idea of just. Let's find out who he is. Like, I wasn't making a film to go through point by point. Like, is he telling the truth? Just see who he is. We'll talk about all that later. Um, I remember your kind of skepticism. You kind of kept telling me, like, 
this other shoe's going to drop, something's going to go wrong, he's going to get raided by, you know, you told me some crazy, sh like, something bad is going to happen, this is not going to happen for you. And I was like, just let's pretend it's going to happen, right? Let's just keep moving. So I want to kind of thank you, first of all, because why I put you as a producer on there, I just want to be clear to everybody, it's not because, like, uh, you know, you like had your hand in this movie. It, oh. it, but people say crazy shit. It, it was just because I couldn't do this without you. I wouldn't make the mistakes of other people. Of course, we're working together all the time. I would never do it without, but I couldn't do it without you. So we sat down and every time I exported a clip I, and, and sometimes I was like, oh no, this is messed up. Something's wrong here. And you're like, hold a second. Look a little deeper. We did an interview back here read it, listen to it. So you ended up giving me like just so much access to, to things that, so Bob gave me total access, whatever you want, but he didn't know Lane Keck anymore. Lane Keck is the guy who did the- um, Hypnotic like, regression. Hypnotic regression, which so everybody knows, it's just so that you relax and can clear your mind and try to recall finite details. So you were like, well, I know Lane. You know, uh, you know, he works here down at this place still, I think. So I called Lane and Lane would never let me in except for the fact I said, I know George motherfucking Knapp. So then he was like, okay. And boy, did he let me in. What you don't see in the film, I've never released this. Lane went through with me his original handwritten in real time notes of, of what Bob was saying. And, and he thought Bob was saying desk. I'm in a room. There's a desk. But like Bob was saying disc and Lane had no idea why this guy wanted to remember a time of his life. So sitting back with Lane, watching and filming with him and seeing his handwritten notes. And I photographed every single note on my iPhone that he had from that live session. He showed me this drawing and the thing is Bob drew it and we didn't know what it was. And then he, he flipped it. It was a saucer. But the thing is, Bob's just kind of like drawing it. So Lane goes, oh my gosh. You did hypnosis mm -hmm. to try to recall details from your employment and from the physics right. of what you learned. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct with Lane Keck. Okay. And did you recall anything? Yeah, I did. I mean, specifics, things you might, might have missed. I basically wanted to try everything I could to prove what I was saying. So this is just another tool. You, you were familiar that hypnosis can work? Yeah. To recall? Yeah, and I, I had had it done to me before, so I had proven that, yeah, this really does do something. Let's try and remember some fine details, or... You wanted to recall some physics that you learned there. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to recall as much as I possibly could. I mean, so much went through my mind. Just imagine all the things you were seeing, and every one is completely fascinating and something you haven't seen before. It's just data overload. So I was hoping that hypnosis would get me relaxed enough where maybe everything was packed so tight together, maybe I could just start thumbing through things and just pick up even a couple little more tidbits could paint a bigger picture and I could, you know, possibly explain things better or, you know, possibly locate some of these other guys or anything, any bit of information. So, yeah, and it was pretty handy. So you did recall some things te yeah. technically. Yeah, technical I, things and... 
probably others too. More and more hypnosis is accepted. However, there's still a lot of uh, misconceptions about it. Like what? Oh, they think that uh, you go into a trance and uh, the hypnotist does something and you don't remember it and all of a sudden your life changes. And that's not the case at all. There's no mind control happening. Take, Take a, a nice, nice deep, deep breath. breath. Close, close your, your eyes. And just, and just think, think relaxation. relaxation. Now just think about your head and relax your head. I don't know. That's fast. That's, that's, that's just really fascinating. But I think it is a shielding material. To the tips, tips of your toes. toes. Just, just relax. relax. Come completely. Pressure and confusion of everything. I mean, you said that could account for a lot. Yeah. Oh, yes. You know, yeah. so I, I don't think that has anything to do with this magical, weird stuff. Yeah. Now, now we're, we're going, going to count, count backwards from, from 100 to 96. Double your relaxation with each number. You want to look at the, uh, like the lid on the reactor? The yeah. top? Or the, the lid, the actual curved basketball. Oh, what would it be? Yeah. yeah. I wonder if it's that stuff. I just want, I like to stick to the technical stuff because mm -hmm. that, that fills in my picture a lot better and allows me to duplicate more things. Get a better handle on stuff. But it all makes sense. Yeah, but I'd rather stick with that stuff than the spiritual stuff. Well, I know that that's a big deal, but... All right. To the tips of your toes, just relax completely. Now what I want you to do is to get as comfortable as you possibly can. Take a nice deep breath and just relax completely. Now double your relaxation and the number 100 will be there. One, zero, zero. Double your relaxation, and the number 99 will come right on in. Just let all that tension disappear. Now just let your mind sweep through your whole being, relaxing every muscle and every nerve in your body. Just relax completely. Bob, Bob, from this moment on, from this moment on, you will recall and remember the material that you seek. And no one or nothing, past, present, or future, will stand in your way. Bob, Bob, Bob. You, you will, will remember, remember because you desire to remember to remember remember at one point he was in hypnosis i think it was drawing a reactor he was trying to recall what was in the books he saw it in the book and then I told him, well, you'll come up and open your eyes and you'll be able to draw. And uh, he did, but it didn't mean anything to him. But 
it was a drawing that he drew this way. Oh, but, no way. But it was this way. And so afterwards, he looked at it. He you know, came back over and sat down here for a while. And, oh, that's because all I had to do is turn it. So that's the superconscious and literal. The subconscious takes things literal. Right, like it's like the mind is absorbing all this stuff and then he discovers what his mind had absorbed. He's remembering. Yeah. I was writing so fast. I, I can't imagine what you were thinking too because you're discovering with them that kind of shock. What's the truth? Hypnosis is the best possible tool of getting to the truth. If a person makes things up normally, they can lie under hypnosis just as easily as out of hypnosis. But if they're really trying to get to and retrieve information, then it's the best tool that I know of. He came in to find out what he didn't know. We were able to go back, overcome the fear, and bring forth those memories. So here's my point, is that making this movie was really the start. If we're going to lead to who's at fault for Storm Area 51, you know, I would say that we've identified that it's your fault. We've identified that it's Bob's fault. And then we've identified that the movie sparked interest. And, and honestly, it, it was like to try to get... And I'd love to tell you about Mickey Rourke and, and why he decided to narrate the film, but I don't think we're going to go into that today. But, like, let's get to Storm. I think it was, like, finally... Because I knew, as a fan, I wanted to know, what is this guy actually like? What is he actually like? Well, that's the kind of thing that I could not do in the series that I produced about Bob, one in 1989 and then one in 1990, is, you know, I'm doing the basics. Here's where he says he went to school. Here's where the records. News. Going to Los Alamos. Was he really there? Talk to co fellow employees. See if we can get some actual paper trail that proves he was there. And then uh, the telling the basic story of him. But it wasn't really about Bob as a human being. And I thought your idea of exposing him to the world about what he's really like and who he is was a brilliant idea because people who know Bob, people who know him the best, yes. who are closest to him are the ones that believe him the most. That's right. It, the, the people who are around him all the time. His wife, his it, mom. It, it, Gene Huff, Jim Taliani, um, Joe, a guy we'll talk about at some other point. People have been around him a long time are the ones that stand by him and know that he's not making this stuff up. So. The idea was, if you could get that, if you could show that side of Bob Lazar, that would be pretty awesome. And it, it turned out to be awesome. It, it was, was awesome. It, you know, I did not expect that it would be, you know, picked up by Netflix. I mean, our first movie was, but I felt like just like a lucky dude. It was like crazy. I'm not really, you know, established with what I'm doing yet. Uh, that's a whole nother story. But I, th I think, you know, the, the interesting thing here is that, from, from my perspective, is that you were so like, you thought... There's no way it's going to go wrong. Bob does not want to retell. You know, he's done. He has taken so much shit. The hook to Bob was that, look, dude, everybody's lying about you. Factually lying. So easy. They say, they, they put your name, they say Bob Lazar, conspiracy theorist. They don't say Bob Lazar, owner of United Nuclear. 
which is his company, right? Which he has passion for. It's it's like Willy Wonka of science when you're in there, which the feds were in there too, it turns out. We should talk about that. So, yeah. so because the feds raiding Bob Lazar, I think created a, a pinpoint that helped the storm Area 51 cultural movement that was going on occur. So we should get into the raid. But the main thing here is that you didn't think you thought something bad would happen that, that it just because he you know but the hook to him was everybody's lying about you that's i hear the lies i know their lies other people don't so either you tell your story again word for word your account what happened or in history it's going down is what other people say and i that took like a year but you could feel it boiling you're right I need to tell people again, just word for word, what happened to me. Well, I mean, my predictions of doom um, were not entirely unfounded. I had gone to see Bob. He had moved to New Mexico after he left Las Vegas. And he had a home there. It was a nice place. And uh, it was an anniversary, maybe 20 years after the, the first series or something like that. And I went to go see him and he welcomed us in. And he showed me around this place. He had built a, this is Bob Bazaar fake scientist, had built a 30-foot-long particle accelerator uh, that went through a house in the back of his home uh, that was producing hydrogen fuel. Okay, so hold on. So people all the time, scientists say that that's bullshit. You can't build a particle accelerator. Well, hold the fuck up. Like, that's the thing. I should have him come and talk just about that. Like, what he was doing was he was trying to create uh, something very specific for a fuel cell yeah. that he was using. That's why he moved to Michigan because he got like... Uh, well, it was before Michigan. This is in New Mexico. Right, but, but he ended up moving to Michigan because what he was creating, he thought the hydrogen car was going to be cool. It was going to be big. And he actually had operating hydrogen cars right there before it was like popular and all this shit, before hydrogen is not the future and it's electric. But like people don't get that. Like he, it was there. You saw it. We, you saw it function. I've talked to other scientists that help him work on that. It was to help create this specific element to, not, I don't want to get my words weird, you know, not element 115. It was, it was, it was a very simple process. So we call it a particle accelerator because it was a particle accelerator, but what it was to perform a task, but it's just really cool with 30 feet tall. Yeah, it was, it was it went right through a building and he yeah. had used that to create this hydrogen fuel system. He had already installed this system in his two cars. Yeah. He ran a Corvette and it was two years at the point where I saw him, it had been running for two years with no gasoline. It was running on hydrogen. There's a video out there that one of his good friends who I've uh, been in contact with a little bit, uh, you know, kind of made this cool little YouTube video where he's showing him the cars. You're just a friend of his came by and it's on YouTube and he's showing him, you know, these hydrogen cars and people were like calling bullshit, whatever. I've seen that shit work. It's crazy. I mean, this is like, so anyway, here's the point. We get to the point where the film comes out and the world sees it on a scale that I did not anticipate. And that's truth. That's truth right there. I didn't know. I spent fucking nine years trying to, to do you know all this. And then I dumped all my own money into this. I had no idea that Netflix was going to pick it up. They picked up my first film but you can't get guaranteed. So I was like, I need to do like one interview. So I got a few friends that could amplify this shit, but I didn't hear back from them, right? So we, I, one interview was all, I 
Bob promised me he'd do one interview, like, you know, on camera. So we got asked by Larry King. And that was such a cool interview because of Larry King's history with Area 51 and covering your stories. You did this big thing out there, right? So there I am. I go into Bob Larry King, and Bob does not want to do this, but he but he's doing it for me. Like his wife Joy was like, you know, you could tell that he didn't want to do it, but he's doing it for me. And I'm I'm so grateful because I want to get the movie out. I wanted people to see it. I made the fucking movie. Why? Does the government hide this? Well, what? So we all believe. Most people believe in extraterrestrials. Right. Most people. So what are you? What are they afraid of? We're living in a different world now. Since December of 2017, with Commander David Fravor, the Tic Tac UFO case, which I broke before the New York Times, I reported on that twice. That case opened the door, so we now know the government did not stop studying UFOs in 1969. There's a program called ATIP. That program is now acknowledged. So what, what, are, what are they afraid of? I think they're afraid of weaponization. I think that's the issue here. And also, you're right, we're not, we're not alone in the universe. Well, I always said it's, why don't they just release information that these events occurred and they can keep the technology secret? That I've never understood, so I'm with you on that. Why are they afraid of you? What, what are you going to tell us? The, the Just what I did, the, the <laughs> existence of the project. All right. Why, why are they so afraid they, of that? I, I don't, you'd have to ask them that. So we do this interview with Larry King. And then I get a call after Bob had done the one thing I begged him to do. Just one on-camera interview for the film. And I get a call from Joe. Joe Rogan. Okay. And man, I... I have so much gratitude and love for the fact because he pushed me because he goes, hey man, can you get Bob on with me? Can we do it? Can we do it all together? Can we get Bob? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like he, he, he already did the one interview. Like he doesn't talk. He doesn't want to do it, man. And I, I wish I could, I can't do it. I just remember him being like, will you just ask him? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I can totally ask him. But I knew Bob wouldn't really understand that somebody that we don't know, you know, Joe's just going to attack him or whatever, like everybody else. You know, why would Bob want to do it? So I called Bob before we went to Michigan together, right? To seal the deal, you know, to try to get him. I was like, Bob, there's this guy named Joe Rogan. He's fucking awesome, dude. And uh, I don't know what he wants to talk to you about, but he wants to talk to you about your experiences. Didn't, didn't Bob ask you, uh, Joe Rogan, is he a disc jockey? He did, he did, he did. Oh my God, Bob does not, he did. He does not know anything about like the outside kind of public publicity, you know, just kind of like the bigger world outside of his, you know, science that he loves. He did ask me that. It was So I had to translate, no, um, well, Joe, Joe's a friend and he's a straightforward person and he's got a very direct way of kind of getting into things. And I was like, so disc jockey, I don't even know what that means, but no, he, he does a, a podcast and he is, you know, he's a comedian, you know, so we'll have some laughs, but you know, it's a, it's a big platform. And I just think like, if we were to do anything, like if you really want to let people hear what happened to you, your experiences, um, no matter you know, if he, like everybody else, has trashed you up to here. You know, even if he does that, um, you'll at least be heard, you know? So he didn't really get it. And he's like, no. Oh, God. So then we're like, okay. So 
you and I decide we're going to go to Michigan well, anyway, by the way, because we wanted to just see Bob. There's a movie that's out about him, you know, like let's just talk with him and hang out. We wanted to have a beer and just fucking hang out with Bob because it was just so much running and gunning, right? Which, by the way, my movie, like I made, like it was like I would have canceled it up to that second if it wasn't accurate and true in the eyes of the person that I am portraying. That's the promise you made to Lazar. That is the promise I made to Bob, which is that- And me. I did make it to you too. Yeah, I did. And I got chills, man. Um, So here's the deal. I I, I would have killed the film because when you let somebody into your private life and make it public on a Netflix documentary that ended up being wildly successful, you open yourself up personally and, and, and everybody's past that. Like Bob's past that. You're past that. I don't want problems in my life. We have good lives, but I was, I would have nuked the movie. So you and I went out to have a beer and just kind of hang out with the fam and the dogs and all this. But you're like, Bob, you really won't do this Joe Rogan thing. You're like, I, th- I think it might, it doesn't matter every, if everybody hates you or whatever, it doesn't matter if they're going to come at you. Just say your piece. And he's so hesitant. And we go into one of his rooms. And I remember calling Joe and being like, okay, here's Bob. You convince him because I've done my best. I took a photo of the call. You did. Three of us are on the phone. We're talking with Rogan. And in the back, there's a poster. I think John Lear is in the poster. (laughs) It's you, John Lear, and Bob Lazar. That's an artist. I don't remember. I'll try to find that and put that out. But it's an artist that made this really cool 80s style poster of the three of you. But it was a cool fo- uh, phone call. Joe is, you know, he's, he's a good dude and yeah. he, uh, he's very persuasive and he knows how to, how to sort of gently twist somebody's arm without yeah. making them intimidated. And it was, it was a very persuasive call that ended up with a yes. Nobody could have got Bob Lazar on another broadcast, like a visual film broadcast. Nobody on planet Earth but Joe. Because just the, the way that he said, look, I just want to know. I just want to know. I'm not, I'm not, this is not about fucking trying to annihilate you. I just want to hear what you have to say. And that's what I really respected about it. And I think that's what, because he doesn't know who he is. Like Bob is so in his field, this business and science and United Nuclear. But I, I remember that phone call and I remember afterwards, he's like, I'll, I'll think about it. And he said, I'll think about it. And you and I know when Bob says that, it's like, he will think about it. So I don't remember when he said yes, but I remember calling Joe and being like, Dude, let's fucking do it. You know, let's fucking do it. It's so cool, man. Um, Had Joe seen the the film by that point, by the time he made that call? I can't remember. Joe had seen the film, I believe, by that time in the call because it had been out on iTunes. So he saw it. He yeah. saw it. So you'll recall, you know, there have been some interviews and programs that he has done where he's pretty harsh on UFOs. Yeah, in the past, yeah, he went through a big period, and rightfully so. You and I have been through that. So there was there was a show, Joe Rogan uh, questions everything, and and I remember that time because because I we we met up one time at this um, motion capture studio when he was filming that show. The thing was was that a lot of the people that you know were coming at they're crazy. You know that a lot of the UFO people are just fucking crazy. So if I was him, I would have had the same experience. I would have been like, uh, this is bullshit, you know, everything. So there was definitely a phase, I think. And Dave Foley, who's all of our common friend, he talks about that, like that Joe is interested in UFOs. I mean, Joe will speak for himself on this. He does all the time, but like, but Dave Foley said then 
he was like not into it because of that show kind of just this is fucking crazy. And you and I can relate to that. It's just sometimes it's so crazy. You're like, I want nothing to do with this. Everybody's insane. But I remember Dave Foley saying, he called up Joe and being like, you'd be very happy to know I am into UFOs again. And, and <laughs> I think Joe was something like that bullshit. Like it was like, I don't know. It was something like that. But I think he watched the documentary and, and he, he did say to me a couple times, I think on air too, it's your fault, Jeremy. I think he started an episode like that. I go, whoa, 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 what, 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 what specifically is my fault? You know, and he's like, uh, getting me back into UFOs. And I go, no, wasn't that Dave Foley that got you back into UFOs? He goes, no, it was your movie. So I was like, okay. So I think he had watched it, and I think that he thought, I would love for him to speak for himself, but I think that he thought, hey, let's just hear what Bob has to say. Right, because everybody knows Bob's story. From when you report it, everybody knows it. So, like me, like like everybody else on planet Earth, I'd like to hear it. So it was just a rough road, and so Bob decided he would do the Joe Rogan experience. So we, I, you know, we went, ended up ended up going there, right? So I was like, I just basically said, Bob, get on a plane. <laughs> you know, like let's go. I'll make it easy for you. You know, and then uh, what happens is, oh, this is fun. So so he gets. I don't even want to get into all this. So he gets, a, I have a migraine right now, just for, so everybody knows. It's horrible. So Bob like gets a migraine right before the thing because he's probably, well, first of all, I fed him McDonald's and Joy, his wife, was so mad at me that like I fed him like horrible food right before the thing because it causes migraines, whatever. So everybody was like, oh, he got a migraine on that show. Hold on. Did he not answer every question? Like migraine or not? He had a fucking migraine. Did he answer every question? Yeah, he did. So at, people that don't want to believe him will never believe him. And you and I were so over it. Like, good, believe him, not believe him. I don't care. I know Bob is telling the truth. I don't, I don't think. Yeah, I passed that bar a long time ago. Yeah. You know, um, I don't care what people think anymore. Decide, don't decide, I don't care. Easy way to say it. Right there, I'm with you. Don't care. But look, man, I didn't know, like, you know, how this thing was going to go. But what happened was it fucking blew up. I mean, it like the powerful Joe Rogan. I mean, he looked at me after the thing and he was all, don't read social media. And I'm like, why? And I'm thinking to myself, what did, what did I say? You know what I mean? But it was just like, I think he was just as a friend being like, other people's opinions don't matter. They should be focused on the information. He, he knew it was going to be a big show, though, right? Yeah, yeah. I, th I, I think that he knew how rare it was for... Uh, to, I think he saw how hard I fought to get Bob on there. I know he did. I know he saw that. And so I think he knew that like, it was a special moment where we could like, look and see if it's bullshit or not. If we could look at it together... Uh, if he could look at it, that's what everybody wants. You have to meet somebody. And something you said here, come in with me here. I want to, <laughs> something you said to me was that the people closest to Bob believe him the most. Now, that is so important, but what do you mean by that? Well, I mean the people that spend the most time with him, the people who know him as a person, people that know he doesn't make stuff up. It says Gene Huff is off at Zed. Bob does not care about the outside world enough to where he'd make up some big elaborate lie. Yeah. It just doesn't care. He lives in Bob world. He does experiments. He builds things in his lab. Yeah. Uh, you know, he loves that kind of a 
focusing on that part of his life, and he does not care. He he didn't know who Joe Rogan was. He yeah, he, you know he doesn't watch television. Right. So so, but you telling me that I think it's so true, and I think that you and I know that. And I kind of want people to at least hear it, which is that you and I, people have tried to lie to us many, many, actually on a daily basis, many, many times about UFO stuff, trying to entice us. Um, when you find somebody like that, it's not like they have this perfect record of their life of being a almost to a fault because of what Bob experienced, a truthful, honest, straightforward, precise with his words person. He became that a lot because of the, the damage that was caused by people coming at him. But when we get people that come at us with bullshit, the closer you get to their inner circles, the more you hear that there are con artists, that it's bullshit. So the important point that you made that I want to drive home is that the closer you get to someone who's, who's an honest person, the people closest to them will tell you that. His friends. I mean, I have interviews with just people that have known him for 20 years, 30 years. I have interviews with people that have known him, you know, uh, five years. Common thread. He's, he's, he's honest to a fault. So my, my math now is that it's 25% Bob Lazar's fault, 25% yours, maybe 30% Joe and 10% uh, Dave Foley. Is that what you're thinking? You are completely <laughs> bad at math and that's okay. We're going to have a calculation on Twitter where we, we, we ask who's at fault. So come full circle back to Storm 51. The film is a big hit. It starts a big dialogue. Joe blasts it out to the universe and it gets people talking about it. And suddenly this guy on, starts a, a meme on Facebook with a crazy idea. That's right. So I got these a barrage of texts that morning. Oh shit, dude, look what happened. And I'm like, what happened? And all of a sudden there's millions of people saying storm area 51. And some kid just threw that up, right? And the thing was, it got so big so quick. So first of all, I want to find out what happened. How did this happen? No one, it's, they, no one's storming Area 51. Like you and I are not about breaching that kind of boundary. We've talked about that a lot. What is going on? This is a cultural phenomenon. Now, that phenomenon couldn't have started if there wasn't these precursors. But I'm like, what is going on? So I found the kid in Bakersfield, right? And I, I, I was able to obtain a, his cell phone number, right? So I just, um, I called it and then I texted it and I said, this is Jeremy Corbell. Can you please answer me? There have been no interviews, no nothing, right? Probably the, the smartest thing that kid did compared to other things that he did, which was call me back. So he had ghosted every major news outlet. When I texted him, this is Jeremy Corbett, I think I did a video, right? So like, hey, 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 I'm not, you know, a fake number. Calls me back. I was like, why did you do this? And he's like, well, um, I, you know, I, this is cool, right? I mean, it's neat. I, well, I watched your movie, uh, Bob Azar, Air 51 Fly Saucer. Then I saw, uh, you know, the podcast with, with, with Joe Rogan and Bob Lazar and you. And uh, man, um, I just thought it was funny, you know? I just thought it was funny, like Storm Air 51. I'm like, okay, there might be some blowback. I remember saying that, right? So next thing I know within this 24-hour period where I'm just like, oh, that's cool, man. Listen, let's not get people to storm Air 51. And instead, why don't you come on with me and I'll put up a little YouTube thing where we talk about it, where we're just trying to have fun and not storm a base. 
I don't think he understood the gravity of what had happened. Next thing I know, he's calling me from a bathroom and he's like, the FBI are going to my mom and they're looking for me. I'm working in a vape shop and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, okay, I know what to do. We're going to call the G-man. <laughs> I called you up and I was like, look, I don't know what this is about. I'm not involved, but this is a big meme. And this kid has the FBI talking to his mom, knocking on his home door, but he's at work right now. What does he do? And you're like, I've got a lawyer and he needs to have representation from the beginning. Two, uh, you should, because I have some contacts that I can call within federal agencies, you should call, and so do you, but you're like, I'll do that, you do this. Call and, and try to get that sorted. So I got the kid on the phone, I called Central FBI, then we routed directly to the office in Bakersfield where uh, the, the people looking for him would be. And I, on the phone with him, talk with the, uh, it wasn't quite the agents that came in, but it was the people that knew they were tasked. And my question was this, is this real? Are they real federal agents? Can you confirm to me that so-and-so's name is a real federal agent? That's the, what you and I do every time. People always tell us they're FBI. Okay, well, let's find out, right? Happens all the time. So we, I confirmed through central line that they are. Okay. Whatever they want to talk about to my friend who's on the line right now, and they had heard about the movie, they had heard about the Joe Rogan podcast, this is the FBI. They had heard about the storm meme, obviously, and sent agents out. So there we are. You got the lawyer on deck, ready to go. Turns out they just wanted to make sure the guy wasn't like serious or whatever, that it wasn't, he wasn't some extremist, you know, some terrorist, domestic extremist group. And clearly the guy wasn't. So he had, the kid ended up talking to him at home. We didn't have to call in the big dogs is the point. So everything's fine. However, I'm like, George, this is so cool. Let's go out there. That, that'll be fun. And you're like, hold the fuck up. You're like, I'm a news reporter and I'm going to cover it. But if you want to be part of it, you shouldn't be planning nothing. I have, there are people out there that have businesses and they should do their own thing. So explain the difference between the alien, what is that? What is uh, the Alien Research Center out there and why we decided to kind of go to George's event, your, your buddy? This got out of control really fast. Suddenly you have something like 2 million people on Facebook saying, yes, we'll be there for an event September 20th uh, out there in the desert around Area 51. And there are boasts being made of people saying, let's see them aliens. They can't stop all of us. We'll go across the, the line and storm the base and and kick in the doors and go see where the flying saucers are, which is absolutely preposterous. Um, I, over the years, over the decades, I've had all kinds of people come to me and say, I wanna sneak into Area 51, what's the best way I can go? Or let's all get a bunch of, let's get 25 uh, RVs and all drive across the border at the same time, they can't stop us. And my advice has always been, yes, they can. Yes, they can. Yes, they can. Don't do it, it's a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, there are, legitimate national security programs that go on out there. It is a, a jewel in our national security system. It's a very important facility even now. Don't mess with it. Yeah, we, we need it. We need it. This is, this is part of what we need. So you're, you're kind of laying it out for me because I'm kind of like sleep deprived. I'm watching a movie and you're like, hold up. So what is, what is 
um, the Rachel Bar and Grill, now named after Bob Lazar's event right. series with you. Explain what that is. Explain what George's thing is. So Little Town of Rachel is pretty close to one of the entrances to Area 51. And in 1989, before we unleashed UFOs, the best evidence, the little business, the main business in town was called the Rachel Bar and Grill. Uh, Joe and Pat Travis ran it. There'd be cowboys in there, occasional people from Area 51, and then uh, travelers on that highway who would need to stop for gas or, or, or food or something like that. It was the only business there. After that series aired, everything changed. Um, it became um, the Little Alien. They changed the name of it. Suddenly they had tourists showing up, UFO hunters. They added rooms, they added trailers that became a little motel there. Uh, travel, uh, number of travelers increased greatly. They realized this is a way we can hang on. This, this business can survive out here. The mountains appear to float on dry lake beds, like spaceships from another world. They seem to ride on a viscous material channeled through empty space by heat that rises and separates. It vitrifies everything it contacts, like a, like a green glass honey. A goddamn psychedelic liquid drowning the emptiness with imagination. with imagination. This desert is pocked and punctuated by a thousand gaping holes created in a thousand atomic blasts that define an era. What are they building in the desert north of Las Vegas? What are they hiding? What are they hiding? What the fuck are they hiding? I have actually watched a craft do maneuvers one night for about 20 minutes. Even today, ever seen anything that could really move as fast. <laughs> Don't open the door, because then the bugs come in. <laughs> well, get a few more goodies. <laughs> mm. My name is Pat Travis. I own The Little Alien in beautiful downtown Rachel, Nevada. The Little Alien started in 1988, actually in 1990, but my late husband and I have owned The Little Alien for since 1988. We were newcomers to Rachel. Well, just after that, the UFO activity started, and it was like a gift that was put in our hands, and we needed something for us. We had added a couple of motel rooms, so here we are with more and better now. Nice. Next time, stay the night. <laughs> are we ready to roll again? We had tour groups earlier today, and it's just you go in, you do what you have to do, and then come out and mingle with everybody. That's what life's all about. This isn't work, this is fun. There are people that come here from every country in the world. And if you look at all the dollar bills that are signed on our ceiling, you'll see so many different countries. Every state in the United States people have been here from. And it's awesome. This is really where things started, you know, and, and it's been something that keeps going on. The one question that everybody asks is, how do I get to Area 51? It just goes without saying. So we give them, we have a little map, we teach them directions and let them go. And we've had some that don't like to listen to us. You've got to pay attention. It is a high secure area. Every country in the world has this type 
but ours is really well known about. So the world's best known secret base because of Bob Lazar. That's it. And when there are secrets, everybody wants to know a little bit about that secret. You know, when Bob Lazar and George Knapp, John Lear, Gene Huff, it was just a whole group that was continued to go. And it was all something that was brought here and given to us. And a lot of articles were written because of so many different sightings of so much, so many different things that it's like a snowball and there's no end to this. People come here from around the world to talk about sightings. Do I believe all of them? Probably not, but there are many of them I do because when you talk to somebody, you know whether they're really projecting something or if it's kind of just a story. Do you believe Bob Lazar? Oh, without a doubt. If a man is going to tell a lie about something, it changes because you don't remember all those things. If you tell the truth about something, it always stays the same. Can I prove it? No, but I can tell you when I tell that, my arms will cover with goosebumps. It's happening now. Do I believe that there are aliens that walk among us? Without a doubt. I have no qualms about that. It's happened here more than once. That's a fact. And then you had other people move to the town. The same time, uh, not that long later, uh, at the, it's Heiko, a nearby community, isn't really even a town. It's more like a, an intersection. There's some ranches there, but a guy named George Harris, a Las Vegas businessman, created something called the Alien Research Center. It's a big gift shop. It's uh, shaped like a big Quonset hut. It's got a giant 50-foot tall uh, alien a uh, robot that looks like Gort from uh, the day the earth stood still, yeah, yeah. and he's making a go of it. And those two uh, businesses, although they're rivals, they also get along a lot. So I think the guy from Facebook who had kicked this thing off made an agreement with a little alien, let's have an actual event. Let's uh, have some people show up. Maybe we'll make some money get some, and have some fun out there. Yeah. Uh, and, and George Harris, the guy who owned the other place, saw some potential there too. But, um, you know, the overall concern that we had... It got serious real It quick. got serious really fast. If, you know, they're talking about two million people. No one really ever believed that that many would show up. But let's say you had 20,000 people show up. There's no bathrooms. There's no food. There's no, you know, no restaurants out there to speak of. There's no porta-potties. There's no toilet paper, no water. Uh, the, the possibility for people getting out there, getting into trouble, getting lost, having their cars break down, dying out in the desert somewhere, a lot of things could go wrong. It's very real. Just that these big concerts people have, you have those problems even with those facilities, but there is nothing out there. And again, nobody thought two million people were coming, but all of a sudden, the Department of Defense, the DOD, I mean, they made an official statement that they later retracted, like, this is what happens to people that storm Area 51, and it's like a bomber, and they ended up, like, taking it off. But also, we got calls, and people were like, what's the intent here? We're, we got nothing to do with this. What the fuck, you know? You were like, 
this could go really bad. And I was trying to understand that. What did you mean? We broadcast stories that we felt were responsible as a warning to people who were unfamiliar with the area. Look, this is a really bad idea, okay? If there's gonna be that many people show up out there, it could, it could be dangerous and troublesome in a whole bunch of different ways. So if you're gonna come out there uh, for this event, be prepared, you know, and be prepared to be self-sufficient. And you should know where you can go and where you can't. And by God, by no means should you ever consider going across the border in the line into Area 51. It's a bad idea. It's illegal. You could go to prison or you could get shot. That's right. And there are mechanisms in place that were amplified to a, such a high degree on that day. So I, I, I remember telling the kid, hey, man, let's do Don't Storm Area 51. Do an interview with me called don't storm Area 51. And let's try to at least divert a little bit of the negative. You know, look, what I was told by certain agencies is that there could be domestic terrorism groups that come in to utilize the event itself to do something bad when you guys are just doing something good. Now, we can't stop it. It's already happening. So they're like, I think, you know, when I told them, I, I was like, you know, I'm going to basically be there because I can't not be there. I want to make sure that we provide something fun. I want to be part of George Harris's event. And, you know, it can't be without uh, the idea of the movie and being out there. So at that point, I was like, okay, I can't organize it. I can't be a part of it in that way. But what I can do is, you know, try to bring things that, and you very smartly, you're like, if you focus your energy at George Harris's, you are miles from the gate and things like that. And we could actually have fun. It's his place. He owns everything. So I called him up uh, with you and we were like, okay, look, um, Jeremy wants to try to provide some things, take it or leave it. Here you go. I, I did ask him, I said, just let me film in your compound. Let me be the only person that films in your compound because I'm going to bring a bunch of this is part of a developing story. So I thought as like a documentary or whatever, this is born from you and Bob making the film, Joe Rogan blowing everything up, and then this kid making the meme, right? So he says, yeah, that sounds great. Who do you have? Because we don't, we need some help. Like, do you have like a musician or something? And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, I got one. Okay, no problem. <laughs> I fucking don't know. Yeah, I don't know anybody. So Funny story, I've never told it, but uh, I called a friend of mine who, he's just really wealthy. I just thought wealthy people, they might know uh, somebody that knows a famous musician, right? But I'm musically stunted. My wife will constantly, you know, you've been giving me a musical education starting with the Beatles for the last <laughs> seven years. I mean, it's like, I'm musically stunted. I, if it sounds good, it's good music. So I didn't know the name, but he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, I got somebody that, that I'll put you in touch with. His name is Paul. I said, okay, cool. You know, I'm like, we're like seven days out at this point. And I'm like, okay, cool. Big musical talent, Jeremy. I'm like, okay, great. He's like, no, plays stadiums, Jeremy. I'm like, okay, great. I'm like, I don't know anything. I just need somebody. Because <laughs> I wanted it to be fun. I wanted to attract people over there. So all of a sudden I get a, a call and it's, hey, Jeremy, this is Paul. And I'm like, hey, Paul, what's up? My name is Jeremy Corbell. I've got an event in seven days. I'm not running it, but I really want to support it. And here's the deal. Like, we really need a musical person. I hear that you are very famous in your field. I don't know your music. I really apologize. I don't listen to music very much. 
And we can't pay you. Oh, yeah. And, and by the way, we can't pay you, right? We can't pay you, by the way. So he goes, yeah, darling, I got you. This is, sounds really exciting. I'm, I'm really excited about what you're doing. I'm like, cool. So what do I write down? He goes, Paul Oakenfold. I'm like, okay, how do you spell it? Paul Oakenfold. So I get back and I tell the people at the uh, Alien Research Center, Paul Oakenfold has agreed to come out into the middle of a desert where there is a potential riot occurring, right, to storm a military base and just play some music. Is that good? Can we do that? I hear he's popular. Oh my gosh. Apparently this guy is one of the OGs in music. He plays stadiums. He's super famous for this. I can't believe he said yes. It must have been a good pitch. So anyway, the guy was a sweetheart. I remember telling our buddy, Robbie Williams, hey man, because we asked him first. We called him to try to see. He was on tour doing something. And he goes, oh, you got an OG. And I'm like, an OG. You know what I mean? So if Robbie says that, then obviously he's an OG. So uh, now I kind of get it, I think, which is that, you know, to have this guy, Paul Oakenfold, come out and play to, for no money, in the middle of the desert, in an active conflict zone, we'll put it that way, right? It was amazing. And it was just so cool he did it. So Paul, I never talked to you, uh, but once since then, thank you for playing to like 150 people and just crushing it. Because that was like... Yeah, he was so gracious and so good natured about the whole thing. Did not phase him one bit that it was to such a small crowd. No. Put on a tremendous show as if that he was playing to 50,000 people. And uh, it was it was an amazing uh, aspect of the whole uh, weekend. Um, you know, there was somebody else who came uh, who uh, who wrote a very detailed article based on what happened out oh, there. Oh, yeah. Rolling a writer from Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone. Stephen Roderick. Stephen Roderick, talented writer. Yeah. Has done some really big pieces for Rolling Stone. We were kind of thrilled that he was coming, that, that he was going to cover it. And he focused a lot on you. Um, and, you know, we were all looking forward to what that piece would be for months after the event until it finally came out. What did you think after it came out? Well, okay, let, let me back up just one second. Um, so I didn't know anything. I just got somebody called me and said, hey, and I don't remember who called me. They're like, Rolling Stone wants to talk to you real quick. And I thought, okay, they want a quote about Storm. So I was like, they call real quick. Stephen calls me and I'm thinking, I go, okay, uh, you know, what do you want to know about? I'll give you a quote. And he goes, uh, no, no, no. He goes, hey, man, um, you know, is there like, is there like, are there like bathrooms out there? And I'm like, I, yeah, yeah, I think they're going to put, put bathrooms out there. Like, okay, um, so like in my SUV, in my car, is there a place I can pitch a tent? I go, whoa, 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 hold up. Are you coming to storm everything? He goes, they didn't tell you? I go, tell me what? And he goes, I would like to follow you through this whole experience during it and after it and write a story. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, this is like hardcore. He goes, he has to introduce himself. He goes, I am a, a staff writer for Rolling Stone. My name is Stephen Roderick. I've written some big articles. You, you might have heard of them. And I didn't know. And I go back to look. It turns out he wrote that famous smash piece on Johnny Depp. Yeah, brutal. Brutal, where it just destroys Johnny Depp. So now I'm thinking, after I look at that, 
what is this guy going to do? Like, is he going to be like every other parachute journalist on planet Earth that jumps into the UFO topic that knows nothing about it and doesn't realize how serious it's getting and do some smash piece? Um, like, fuck no. And then I thought, you know what? If he agrees to stay in my RV, then he's really in. Then he's really in. So so ended up calling him back, I think, uh, just after. I was like, here's the deal. Yeah, come cover the event. You want to stay in my RV? He's like, awesome. I was going to pitch a tent. And I'm like, awesome. Okay. So j just to kind of back you up from, from what you said, what did I think about the article? What I thought was, this is a hyper-talented writer. And I liked him. He's like a good guy. And I was baffled at the fact that he wanted to follow us through the experience and then do something more, like come to my house later. So I'm, so it's, it's like, it feels good. You're like, oh shit, you know, you got the Rolling Stone following you. It felt rock and roll. But I was like, what is this guy up to? Is he really going to do a good article that takes it seriously? I don't want to contribute to bullshit. I remember uh, when I met him, I walked into your RV and you and he are there, a couple of other people, and it got silent. Like I just walked into a church or something. And then we, the conversation started up again and it got comfortable and it was fun. And then Paul Oakenfold came in and then it got kind of raucous and, and it was even more fun. It was a, a great little moment there. It, it was, and I have footage of that. So, so I was able to have um, my buddy, the same guy that flew from uh, Mexico the first time and just without knowing what he was doing, came and filmed with us for the first time on camera, Jay Stratton, right? right? Same dude, Niles Harrison. Niles Harrison, my mentor in cinematography, who knows that I don't even know how to focus aperture, but has helped me in, in, in all this stuff. And then Dave Foley was and there too. And Dave Foley was there. But my point is we have the only footage of this, but we have footage of this. So in that RV that you're talking about, Dave Foley, Paul Oakenfold, for the first time I've been meeting, Stephen Roderick, you, me, some other reporters. It was, it was, it was so crazy. And, and I, I wanna show everybody that footage real quick so they can just see a moment of it. And you'll be pleased to know I'm, I've become obsessed with UFOs lately. You know, some level of empathetic toward, toward the issue. Good luck. Yeah. How's my hair? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good as mine. <laughs> you wait eight hours though. <laughs> awesome, I'm on right there. Awesome, thanks guys. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Put on a nice tight outfit. Sorry. Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you and Jeremy together. Okay. I was also impressed that Dave Foley came out because I think at that point we had never hung out in person. So I remember we had talked so much on that. We had videoed whatever, but I was like, Foley, look, come hang out with me and George in the desert. It might be a devastating riot, but... And there might be a ton of agencies and there will be arrests and, and, but you can stay in my RV too. I got a couch in there. You know, someone's not using it. There's a couple bunks and he's like, oh, I'm in. I go, what? He goes, I'm in. I'm like, that's when I knew I loved Dave Foley. Yeah. What a great guy. That was the first time I ever got to meet him. And you know, that friendship that you guys have and me to a lesser degree, that'll be forever. That was the first day that we really got to hang in physical capacity. It was just so cool, man. So finally, we're gonna tell Dave the real plan. We're storming 
the gate oh, of Area 51, and Dave's leading the charge. This was, this was not bullshit. I kept saying this is no. so far, it's no. bullshit. I figure we bring a comedian, you'll laugh him out they're of us gonna, arresting us. They're not going to stop a celebrity. Right, right, they're not gonna stop, right. Especially a funny a one, a mid-level celebrity. Right. Uh, who's been off TV for 20 years. Hey, well look, in, in, in the 90s you might have got, gotten a pass, yeah. but you better start working because you got to laugh us out of this oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Most, I mean, most people in, in uh, involved with military police are huge Kids in the Hall fans. Mm-hmm. Because uh, most of them are closet homosexuals. Well, that's the yeah. exact reason why we're bringing you, man. You can relate to them. Is this your first time here? Um, I've been, I, I've been before. It's my uh, first time here. Yeah. It's your first time. Yeah. Not, not, I have not been to this gate before. And the other gates. Mm -hmm. So what goes through your head just looking out at this great expanse behind you? How cuddly Dave Foley is. Bob, Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers. <laughs> So in my eyes, it's just this kind of neat thing where there's so much excitement about UFOs. So let's now let's get to just this part, right? I just I just thought this can be a good thing. Let's not let it be a bad thing. So we 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 tried it, I tried to to create that environment. I know you were just covering it as an as a news reporter, but we were worried and there was a massive federal and law enforcement presence. But what I realized was it was the craziest shit ever. You'd go up to the gate compared to every other time we've gone. When you're being surveilled, they don't let you see anybody. But the car last time we went up to Area 51, they followed us. Me, you, and Ernie Klein. Right. Ernie Klein's the, the writer who wrote Ready Player One, which the Steven Spielberg movie is after. This is George's friend, for those of you that don't know. And he's a, he's a good dude. We like Ernie. And we took him out to Air 51 and the cars would, they followed us back last time just to kind of say, we see you guys. I mean, the security in Area 51 is already always pretty strong. You just don't always see it. There's cameras that ring many, many of the central access points. And there are personnel that will, camo dudes, they call them, that would sit up there in a Bronco on the hill when you get close to the gate. They have uh, sensor systems on the roads to let you know that they're there. But this time, for this event, it was way over the top. I mean, they were prepared for the worst of the worst. It, if in, in actuality that two million people showed up and wanted to storm the base, they were ready for it. In between Heiko and Rachel on the highway, they had created this law enforcement camp. They had heavy equipment and armored personnel carriers and I don't know how many law enforcement from every agency in Nevada, state, federal, and then extra military folks inside the base just in case things got out of control. Okay, let's go into things that have, have really gone wrong out there in a second. I, I want to go into things that really gone wrong from the sensors that were dug up all the way to our buddy York, right? But, but before that... My perspective was different, George. Like when I went up to the gate, now I know because you and I actually have knowledge of that inside the gate there were extra measures put up, but it to me, they did such a great job on site. It was like, oh yeah, come up to the gate, right. take photo. You'll never see that again, right. never in your life. And in fact, some of the um, both federal and state individuals, they were like, oh, hey, let's let's take a photo. I'm like, can I post it on social? They're like, okay. I never I never did, but they're like, it was so cool. It was like a PR thing. They're like, 
come on up, everything's cool. U.S. of A. We're good. And honestly, everybody felt like that. Like I'm, sh I know that there's those people watching in the crowds that, that you recognize some of them. You know, I, I know, and you talked with them. I know that. But from the public standpoint, it felt like, hey, okay, we're here, and we're going to shake your hand. Just don't cross the gate. That was the only thing. Well, I know people have written that it was a disaster. It was a terrible uh, disappointment because two million people didn't show up. It was a great fun, a great time. It people was. that went out there had a great time. Uh, the crowd was a lot smaller at the Heiko part of it than anybody expected, but it was still a great, uh, great fun. And then there were thousands of people who were over on the Rachel side of it who are camped in the desert. I think they had a great time too. They're wearing goofy alien costumes. Um, I think the larger message is that, that it touched the pulse of the public, that event. I mean, there, it was an indication that the people really are, although they were there to have fun, they're also there because they're interested in this, that they want transparency. They wanna know what's going on on the UFO issue. And if it's out there at Area 51, which I seriously doubt anymore, um, then it's time for somebody to fess up about it. Yeah, and and but you know, but here's the deal: is like it was this kind of cool. But but I did notice. I want to really clearly state every single article that wrote about it, even though it wasn't as big as like you know the two million people and all that stuff. They diminished the number of people. Like I was there. I have the footage. There were thousands and thousands of people. I don't fully understand why um, publications would intentionally try to diminish the, the amount of people that, that came to attend because there was a lot more than I actually thought there was going to be. And, and maybe I'm being naive, but the, independently, all these publications were like, ah, oh, there was barely anybody there. Fucking not true. Not true at all. And, and that's in some of the footage. So why do, why do you think... It comes with a territory for this topic that uh, journalists have been so used to diminishing it and dismissing it and, and having derogatory comments about it, it goes with the territory. So Stephen Roderick's Rolling Stone article about UFOs, I think it's like Loving the Alien, I don't remember the title, it was something like that. What did I think about it? That's what you asked me where I got all fired up. So what I thought about it was, was that it was really cool that somebody of his stature would come in and spend the time, a deep dive into the UFO thing, starting from zero, to like what's going on in the media at that time. But he used me in that article, and I think he would admit it because it's true, is that he used me in that article as a vehicle, as almost a comedic, jester-like vehicle where you should doubt everything I say because I do things like theatrically open my freezer. Now, I open my freezer every fucking day, and it's never theatrical. But if you want to say that, you can say that because maybe that's the way you see it. Or maybe he's just saying I got a charming personality. I'll take it that way. But my takeaway, to be honest with you, and to be honest with everybody, is that it was an excellent article to be covered on this topic. And it was fun to read. Like I had so much fun reading it. But I was used as a vehicle to try to say, hey, I went and did mushrooms with this guy or something like that, you know? Um, but I think the, the end note is that I'm, I'm really grateful. So, Stephen, if you're listening to this, buddy, I love you. I asked you before you went public with this on a, on a Twitter, public Twitter, I said, friend or subject? Like, am I a friend or a subject? And he wrote back friend. And, you know, and I hope that's true. And I think he could do a lot for this subject if he just 
spent his mental energy on it because we need voices like his. So the article was great. I just didn't like the fact that everything I said that was fact was portrayed as like a maybe about my own personal life. So right when it was going public, I went to the editor and gave them every piece of proof they needed to say what I was saying was true. Whether I opened the, the, the fridge theatrically or not in his eyes, right? So, so anyway, that's what I think about it. I, I really hope other massive journalists like him focus long form on this because, man, you got to get in it. Well, he is a great writer and the, the article, was, it's a long piece and yeah. it was really well written. Some great stuff in there, funny observations. Uh, and he, he treated me really pretty well. He, he called me, I think, the John the Baptist of the UFO movement or something like that, which I didn't understand. You know, so he treated me well. I have no complaint about it. The complaint I have is that, and I called him after, after it came out. I just said, I just thought you missed a great opportunity. There's some funny stuff in there. And I know he doesn't want to be the Hunter S. Thompson, the new Hunter S. Thompson, even though he writes for Rolling Stone and the style is very similar to it. And, and he sort of embraced the whole environment, the uh, event in ways that Hunter Thompson might. Came to my house and saw my wife, which is called the Yeti because no one sees her on mushrooms. I mean, it's like he did embrace it. We listened to music all night. But if you ask him about Hunter S. Thompson, he says, no, no, I'm not Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson made stuff up. I'm not him. The style, the writing style was similar, and it's a great article, and he did do some work. He went and met Lou Elizondo, he talked to Tom DeLonge, he, he, he did some work beyond the event itself to have some context, but he missed a great opportunity. That's what I told him, is that uh, he starts the article early in by talking to Seth Shostak, this astronomer who works with the SETI program, and Seth explains that really these misguided UFO people, they're looking for some meaning in their life. And many of them who moved away from religion or Jesus and, and Santa Claus. And so they, they need to, this to fill that gap, which is just preposterous. It's just not true. That same argument has been made by journalists, lazy journalists, for 75 years. And it's not true. People are interested in UFOs because they see them, because their government sees them because there are, are fighter pilots and, and ships and radar operators see them. They're interested in it because it's a genuine mystery, not because they don't want to believe in Santa Claus or uh, the Easter Bunny or Jesus. That kind of comment by somebody who's supposed to be a scientifically minded person tells more about that person than it does the UFO mystery. So I love it when people say shit like that because then the public can see someone like this guy you're talking about, whatever his name is, he, he like freaking tells the public who he is. That's his pain right there. That's his weirdness because it's not fucking true. Seth Shostak is, has worked for 25, 30 years with SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. They believe that there's life out there and that we should look for it by using telescopes to find evidence but they sure as hell don't want to say that there's any evidence of life being here, ET life coming here or non-human intelligence being here because that puts them out of work. If, if, if there's evidence that something is visiting us here, you don't really need telescopes to look way, way out there. I mean, that, that just seems to me like a form of, of hubris. As a sci if I was a scientist, how could I discount some, some society more intelligent and more advanced technologically than me? I mean, that just feels like beyond hubris. That feels like, dude, maybe that guy got abducted. Well, it'll be interesting to see what evidence SETI has come up with, that there's life out there, that there's intelligent life on other planets, because in the 
I think it's probably more than 30 years that's existed. They've got squat. Okay. So I want to now get back towards how this storm thing happened. But first I want to say, look, I have been really like at this thing, which by the way, went off great. There, there were some weird things. Like I was approached by a group of, uh, you know, clearly menacing individuals who appeared to me to be um, from an agency that were trying to see if I would say or provoke me into creating um, a, a riot, like as if when I got on stage that night with the microphone that I would have incited people. They, they came at me, it was so fucking, um, you know when that, you get that feeling in your gut and you're like, oh, this is dangerous. So I came in right and told you right away and I got them booted from the, from the place. They had built the campfire, got them booted. They were there and they told me for the violence. That's what they said. Now, I think these guys were plants because the way that they were, I, I, I've seen it every day of my life, you know, people that work in these capacities. But I am just publicly stating for the first time, I was approached by three men who, who told me their goal was to incite violence. And they were trying to enroll me in that. And it creeped the shit out of me. And I came and told you immediately, you told George, and they were evacuated from the location. That um, freaked me out. And then you also in the audience when Oakenfold was playing and everybody was dancing with like laser beams, right? I have cool photos and video from that. Mm -hmm. You said to me that there were people in the audience that you had a long-standing friendship or relationship with within federal agencies. Like you recognized faces? FBI. Okay. So, FBI. What, so why were they there? I asked them, are you here to, are you working? Oh no, we're just here to have fun. They had a beer in their hands, but I didn't see them actually drinking it. I saw them, I think they were there to keep an eye on things, to see if that Good. things didn't get out of hand. But good. they were also enjoying themselves. They got the, they got a hell of a, had a hell of a good time out of it. And uh, I hope they learned something about the, the crowd that follows this stuff, about the subject matter and about how passionate people feel. And, and so on that, I want to kind of highlight a couple artists that did some really cool stuff. The other artist that, that blew me away, right? So after my film comes out, a lot of these emails come in. And this one artist, uh, I'm going to pronounce things wrong, Sawana, I believe. The, the title of the song is Black Hole, uh, so Bob Lazar, or Black Hole Sawana. It was the coolest rap of... Uh, taking clips out from the movie in your original interviews and, and playing them in a song. The song was so cool. And, and this female singer or artist, she was in a foreign country at the time. Um, I think it was Indonesia or it was, it was, I'm, I'll probably get it wrong, but it was somewhere overseas. And I said, look, can you just get back to the U S of a where she's from? And I'm like, we got a stage. You play your song, you know, this Bob Lazar, song called Black Hole and what why I was so and she had a partner another guy that was in it that was just so great and the reason I wanted to play it because they got everything right if you listen to the lyrics of this song in 1989 I mean it starts off crazy just, it starts off with what happened play it okay I'm the whole thing yeah I'm gonna play the whole song and video that I made right here bam <laughs> Information that will lead today's mindset and shed the silhouette head to school. 
fame or glamour In fact, the clamor he made Got the government throwing shade He had a secret worth killing for what FBI raid Look, Bob Lazar had that clearance majestic Working on cosmic cases far beyond just domestic The government's got flying saucers But they'd rather us skeptics And truth seekers like Lazar and I will not just accept it Aliens and light beams sounds crazy except it's Far crazier to think that human beings the best We've seen countless evidences as mankind progresses That aliens are fucking real So why they suppressing, uh We want the answers, it feels like something's missing Lazar, bring the light, are you ready for disclosure, y'all? We this close to disclosure, y'all Well, there's several, uh, actually nine flying saucers, flying discs of extraterrestrial origin They're being test flown and uh, basically just analyzed where, where did we get these saucers? Uh, how did they come into the hands of the government? I haven't the slightest idea and the information is very compartmentalized Compartmentalized if you're stuck on tabloids, I don't know what you heard But Bob Lazar's not telling a lie Top secret faces with flying saucers fly The government won't be forthcoming He hasn't changed the story for 30 years running E.T. species, advanced technology They erase his identity at MIT Field propulsion Man, it's awesome, but they got a craft that can really bend gravity Back in 89, Bob had a particle accelerator Hoping he don't wake up the neighbors Had to walk away from S4 and take a pay cut Pulling up in that little red Corvette Lazar's talking, clandestine documents of flight test with suspicion they said it's too much like science fiction well turns out that's wishful thinking this guy took his friends out to papoose lake saw some saucers and caught that shit on tape you want to sit here and say that lazar is fake instead let's get real because life is unexplained bob lazar's not telling a We're given. We want the answers, it feels like something's missing Lazar, bring the light, are you ready for disclosure, y'all? We this close to disclosure, y'all Okay, now, check it out so, so she was so great, came on stage and did this And I put a video of the guy in because he couldn't come back to the US It was just so neat to me to see these artists doing stuff and getting it right Getting it right what Bob reported, what you reported. I mean, it was so cool. But I do want to touch upon this idea that there has not always been a great relationship when it comes to Area 51 and journalists and when it comes to Area 51 and the surrounding area. And the first thing I want you to tell us about is, from what I understand, you did a news report about a guy that found sensors on public land. Can you tell us that story first and then I want to talk about yours? Sure. His name was Chuck Clark. He had written sort of a, 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 a visitor's guide to Area 51 with some pretty good advice on what to do, what not to do, and how to prepare for a trip out there. He spent a lot of his time at the Little Alien. I think he lived in, uh, in a trailer right next to the Little Alien for a, a number of years. And he would be the unofficial expert. If people came to town and had questions, he, he would help them out. But Chuck was also a bit of a government watchdog. And he, he admires the folks that worked out at Area 51, but he was, I think, upset when he learned that there were these sensors out on public land. So, you know, e even if you get up to the very edge of Area 51, you're still 12, 15 miles from the base itself, and you can't get in there. There's no way. 
but on the public lands leading up to it for miles outside on BLM land that is available to everyone, they've planted these sensors that will alert them when someone's on the road. And so Chuck found a way to dig them up and uh, to uh, isolate and identify them. And uh, it, he had a, he'd built a little uh, scanner in his car that would beep uh, when there was one real nearby. So he called me up and said, hey, come on out here, I gotta show you this. So Matt Adams and I went out, uh, my, Matt, my photographer, and got in the car with Chuck and drove around and we found like four or five of them. Hold on, shout out, shout out to Matt Adams. Matt Adams has been working side by side with George Knapp, probably been to Skinwalker Ranch more than anybody but George and the NIDS team. And the, Matt Adams has been your, 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 tell us who Matt Adams is real Matt quick. is the chief photographer for KLAS TV. Uh, he's worked uh, with me on the I-Team for more than 20 years now. All of the adventures we've had at Area 51, at Skinwalker Ranch, uh, we've had our encounters with law enforcement, uh, we've chased down terrorists, we've done a lot of stories together, won a lot of awards. He's a fearless guy and a very talented man, and he was on along on this on this assignment. And, and he's your CIA handler. Yeah, that's true. Okay, that's continue. True. So we go out with Chuck, he, his uh, little scanner is beeping. We find these things that are hidden in, under bushes are and under dirt. Are you filming it? Yeah, we, we recorded the whole thing. Matt shot the whole thing. He gets a little brush out and brushes off the dirt and shows us where they, these things are. Did not disturb any of them, at least not while I was there. And uh, then we put them back, you know, he just covers them back up again. And, and we go back and do a story. And I get, I get a call from federal law enforcement that said, what were you doing out there? So, well, I'm just, I'm on public land. I'm looking at these devices that are on public land and we're gonna, we're putting a story together on it. You shouldn't have done that. And it's, it's kind of ominous, the warning that we got, but the next day, the Joint Terrorism Task Force goes blasting into Rachel, kicked in the door of Chuck, Chuck's trailer, uh, seized all of his computers, all of his cameras, all of his hard drives, all of his photographs, took it all, took everything away. And Chuck was in Colorado at the time. He didn't know this was going on. He found out a little bit later, but he never got that equipment back. And he was, uh, he had the threat of federal charges uh, over his head for I think the next two years. The allegation was he destroyed government property by messing with these things that were out on public, public land. Public land, right. okay. FBI agents have confirmed that a search warrant was served last night on the home of a self-described military watchdog in the tiny town of Rachel near the mysterious Area 51 military base. It's an exclusive story you will only see here. We've learned this action was initiated by the Joint Terrorism Task Force. The search warrant remains sealed and the FBI won't say what was seized from the home of Rachel resident Chuck Clark. We believe the action was taken because Chuck Clark escorted the I-Team on a tour of the roads surrounding the base. During the visit, he showed us the location of military sensors hidden on public land. Here's our story. I found 31 or 32 of them uh, so far. Retired astronomer and desert rat Chuck Clark has a new hobby. He's prowled the hills and deserts of Lincoln County for several years now, has photographed exotic aircraft in the skies, and keeps an eye on the top secret base known as Area 51. He's even written a book about the place. 
Over the past few months, he's discovered the military has been installing secret sensors on public land surrounding the base. Using a frequency counter, he can tell when his vehicle has tripped the sensor. When that happens, he looks for the hard-to-spot wire atop the device. This is our sensor right here. Then he digs them up, takes pictures, and puts them back. There's your transmitter right there. And we'll come around here. And right here will be the time delay unit. And you'll see it's clearly marked U.S. government property. Clark isn't a terrorist or spy, but is angered that hikers, four-wheelers, or photographers, anyone who uses the backcountry, is being monitored by the military on public land, miles from the boundary of the base, a boundary which is clearly marked by ominous signs. It's a little overkill in my opinion. They have a uh, about a 25-mile buffer zone out here, and it's all terrain like this. It gets rougher as you go. Uh, why they have to put stuff outside the line, really, it escapes me. During the I-team's visit last week, two sensors were located, and base security wrote down the plate numbers of our vehicles. We returned five days ago and drove to the rear entrance of Area 51. Three days after our visit, FBI agents working with Air Force Intelligence and the Joint Terrorism Task Force raided Clark's home and Rachel, seized photos, records, and his computer. Is it legal for anyone to touch military sensors hidden on public land? The government doesn't think so, although Clark hasn't been charged with anything. Is the military trying to silence this outback gadfly? Sort of paranoid about this location, and I don't see why. We asked the BLM if it's legal for the military to put sensing devices out on public land, but a spokesman couldn't answer our question. Law enforcement sources say that by handling the sensors, the devices become disabled, so it amounts to destruction of government property. As we mentioned, Clark has not been charged. He was out of the state when the warrant was served. Our investigation of the issues involved will continue, and we should emphasize the involvement of the terrorism task force does not mean that terrorism in a classic sense is involved. It's just that these kinds of matters fall under the task force purview. So um, it was enough of an intimidation tactic that Chuck shut down his home in Rachel shut down his, uh, his uh, watchdog activities, moved out of the state, and never came back. The other thing I want to talk about is that this has happened in other realms, right? So we know, obviously, with Bob Lazar, and we're not going to get into all that now, but he had a multi-agency raid on his home in New Mexico. But when I was filming too, by the way, because we talked about the movie, everybody said, oh, first, Jeremy hired people. It's a movie. He faked it. And then, of course, the, the local documents come out. I didn't fake it. There was a raid. They identified themselves as FBI, and um, they uh, said, you're Bob Lazar, right? And then, you know, one of them got on the radio saying, yeah, he's here. Apparently, they also had my house staked out and they were deciding whether or not to go there. The conveyor belt of vehicles and agents and police did not stop. The whole thing it was like a Twilight Zone episode. They came in and then they said, there'll be a few other people coming here. Just got a couple questions to ask you. In a short time, the street filled up with vehicles and the building completely filled with agents. It was really something else. Did they identify themselves initially as Yeah, FBI? it was FBI identified themselves, then came in state police and a few other agencies. I don't remember who, but um, there were a lot.
Not a lot. Standing room only in, in the building. It was it was crazy. Yeah, they had like a forensic truck. They had a bunch of different agents. They gridded off the building. I mean, obviously they're they're looking for something. Yeah, yeah. And what they said, they were looking for some paperwork, an old order from two years ago about a customer that uh, you know ordered some potentially toxic material, which <laughs> they could have called for. But uh, this was certainly way over the top. I looked up to select the right key, and they were right beside me. And it was quite surprising, considering you could see all around here, and there would generally have to be a vehicle or something somewhere. But I just pulled up, got out, picked the key, and then they started talking from behind me. I thought that was really strange. Of course, it got much stranger as the day went on. What, what got stranger about it? Well, just the sheer amount of people that came, agency after agency, and I mean, they had computer experts here going through, you know, all the computer equipment we had here, they had people sectioning off the building, labeling it in cubic meters so they can search each one. You know, what they were looking for was just a, an order form, so very strange. You've been raided two times? Twice. By more agencies than I can really recall. The FDA, to the NRC, the FBI, but they, they usually come in, in mass, and it's hard to pick out who's who. So this is beryllium? Yeah. And what is it used for again? It's used in aerospace. It's very lightweight. Quite strong and high temperature metal do you think that you you were shaken down to some degree you're being fucked with I don't think they're just fucking with me I'm convinced there's ulterior motives I firmly suspect that there's a, a lot more to it than they're saying that they're looking for something else what they're supposed to do is tie you up put you in the middle of the room, have everyone watching you so that you can't, you know, collaborate a story or, you know, try to trick them or whatnot. So they just kept kept us all in separate rooms. There's bomb squad, uh, computer squad, I think they have like a biological hazard squad, hazmat squad, everything, I mean, the full gamut, because they had no idea um, what we had in our shop or like what we're capable of or are we going to retaliate or anything like that. So it was pretty much like the full Michigan FBI was here. I mean, they had the van, they had multiple cars lined up, you know, so. I mean, in looking at Bob's life, there, there's always this suspicion that there's something more going on on shaking him down because yeah. he, had, he had that experience before. Yeah, so this is the second time that I know of that he's gotten raided. So he's always had like this kind of knowledge that there's somebody watching no matter what he does there's always somebody watching you and it does have to be related to the area 51 stuff and all that you know they kind of put him on a list i think they do like toying with him and keeping an eye on him but i don't believe that it's like 
they're opening up a 30-year-old file and they're like, all right, we're going to crack down on the Bob story. We're going to find out if he had what he has, what information he's got. I don't think that they're necessarily doing that, but I do think that there's like a culture maybe within these agencies of they know who this guy is and they'll have, you know, they'll look for any reason that they can to kind of, you know, poke him with some thorns and make sure that he knows, you know, who's watching him. I, I believe that. It's too coincidental for it all to be just, you know, you know, just some luck of the draw, basically. Like, there's there's something going on. We'll talk more about that later. So now we're at, like, the third time that I have seen, in my experience, dude, these people get fucked with. Jorg Arnu. This is a couple months ago. What happened? November of 2022, federal agents uh, came to two homes that are owned by Jorg. One is in Rachel and one is in Las Vegas. Jorg has for the last 20 plus years operated a website called dreamlandresort.com. And it is sort of a central clearinghouse for information about Area 51. People would send in photos and stories and uh, news links and things of that sort. And it was a, a place to exchange information with other people who have like interests, who wonder about uh, what projects are being uh, enacted out there what planes are flying in and out of the base. They take photos of uh, F-117s that supposedly uh, retired many years ago and then speculate about what else might be going on out there. And this is a friend of yours. This yeah. is somebody that you know for yeah. decades. Yeah, in fact, Jorg knew Chuck Clark. And I think when Chuck Clark got raided, uh, I'm not entirely positive, but I believe Jorg was visited back then as well. And. Uh, so he's got this website. He's very careful. He doesn't want to cross a line. In fact, when the Storm 51 thing was going on, Jorg led the charge to don't come here. Leave us alone. We filmed at his house, sure. if you remember, and he had put up this barbed wire fence, these spotlights. He's telling everybody, don't do anything up there. Don't. They're very serious up there. This is a guy that has helped protect that line for decades. He, he has. We are right in Rachel, Nevada. We're at Jorg's house. He's uh, prepping for the zombie apocalypse with lights that are like daylight surrounding his compound of a house, cleaning guns, fenced off with news trucks welcome to park on his property so that uh, he could be protected for the zombie apocalypse. It's pretty fucking crazy. I live real remote too. I would do the same goddamn thing. Fuck yeah. This is small town community where people are literally invading it, coming from somewhere where they're not going to be prepared for here. The house is prepped with daylight at night. This place is going to be like daylight. They got guns, they got lights, they got news trucks for protection. Fire is an issue. Some properties where they got big trees going, you've seen whole towns burn. So that's what this is about. And, uh, you know, they should protect their property. However, I think everybody's going to have a good time. It's going to be beautiful. Now, I want to give the word how crazy the situation is and whatever I can do to, to help with that. Do you personally feel responsible for what's going on here? No, I personally feel responsible for only what I do. I blame Bob Lazar, really. Me and York, we are not going to storm Area 51. <laughs> we are going to just check on what's going on. Yeah, he's warned all kinds of people uh, when the Storm 51 thing was percolating, don't come up here, it's a bad idea. Don't tread on our little town here. Stay away, it's a bad idea. But um, so he, you know, he is in a lot of ways a friend to the government. He's, he would never expose secrets or endanger national security. He's a naturalized American citizen. He came here because he loved America. 
So the raid happens. They kick in his door at his house and Rachel uh, came in with guns blazing, not blazing, but guns drawn and um, seized, took him outside, threw him in a, in a vehicle. Then he took all of his computers, uh, cameras, photos, hard drives, uh, cell phones, everything. So double no knock warrants on two properties, two one in Las Vegas, one in Rachel in the middle, 6 a.m. in the morning. His, his girlfriend's in the, in the Vegas one. He is in the one that is near Rachel. And boom, door kicks open. There's guns drawn. They take him into like a type of detainment. And they take all of his computers and his hard drives. And we're not talking about like a journalist like us. We're talking about like... A website guy. A guy that runs a website. And of course, as I said, he's always been really careful. He had said, look, if there's... And he's made it clear when people want to post things on his site. Don't do something that's crossing a line. I don't want any secure classified programs being exposed here. I want to be careful about it. And he's told me, I, I mean, he gave me the first interview after this happened and said, look, if they just came to me and told me, you got something on your site that shouldn't be there, I would have taken it down, that, but that, they didn't. That, that, that's what Bob has always said, like, that's what you want is, you know, for agencies to come, just talk with you. There's that, there's no reason to do all this. Just come talk with people. So that's not what happened with York. And that really, that really made me upset. Well, he's not going to be charged with anything. They've made that clear. His lawyers have, have done some inquiries and it's not that he's ever going to be charged with a crime, but at the same because they, they wouldn't tell him what it was that he did wrong. Uh, they gave him a hint that there must have been an image on there that crossed the line, but they won't tell him what the image was. So he doesn't expect to ever be charged, but he's also never going to get his stuff back. They said it might be years. By the point, by the time you get your stuff back, it will be so outmoded it's not usable anymore. Right. So just the fact that you can go in, bust in a door from a multi-agency raid and you can you know, not give you the full warrant. I think it was like a 46 page warrant. They gave him one page of it, if I recall the numbers correctly, not tell you what they're looking for, not tell you if there are any charges, you're never going to be charged. Your stuff is taken, your doors are broken. And by the way, we're not gonna fix your doors, which that is wrong. Like I, I, I have heard from people that know that they should fix the doors at least, but not getting your stuff back. This is America. What is going on now? Now, he's not a journalist with the same protections as us, let's say, but just as a citizen to do that. So unless there's something we don't know in these situations, right, which I don't think there is. It's got to be. There's got to be something because that it's a 46-page warrant. Federal judge had to sign off on that. There has right. to be something in there that convinced them to kick in somebody's the doors at somebody's house, both houses, and take all this stuff. They had to convince a judge that this was really serious, a matter of national security, in order to cross that threshold, I would think. But what is it? But so we would think so, unless this is an intimidation tactic, which I don't want to believe because you and I, we know a lot of personal friends that work in these agencies. They're good people. They are moral people. They uh, have a compass and also the bureaucracy of it all to do something like this uh, with, without taking a guy into custody. I mean, the people I know in law enforcement and at the federal level, like they're like very surprised by this case that there would never be a charge Like, because to get that warrant is hard. So it's, it's just messed up, man, because look, I think most people, you go talk to them. So this feels like a message. But either way, I just want to say, we know a lot of people. We know the good guys. We know people like us, curious in the UFO topic that uh, are 
this seems like something else. And, and I don't know what that is. And I think it's just horrible that it happened. And we got to find out what, and they got to fix his door. Here's the thing is, you know, I understand the end, you need places where you can do secret stuff. You, you have to be able to have uh, developing projects and platforms and technology where you don't have prying eyes, where our adversaries can't see what's going on. And even to keep it away from the public as well, even the taxpayers who foot the bill. But you can't have secret places where the laws don't apply. You know, you can't have a place like that where the Constitution is suspended, uh, where, you know, your uh, the First Amendment rights are invalid, where the public has no right to ask questions about it because those kinds of situations lead to trouble. When you have excessive secrecy like that, when you, t for years, you know, they announced Area 51 right when they built it. And they said, it's just a little landing strip. We're going to be here a couple of months. We'll be gone. You know, they didn't exactly tell the truth uh, about the facility that was out there. It was a NASA weather station or something. And then, you know, the base gets bigger and bigger. And in the 1970s, it disappeared from maps. It was on them and then it was gone. And how, how do you not, how do you expect the public to not be interested in a base that when you ask them straight out, do you have a base out there? They say, no, they won't acknowledge it. It's disappeared from maps. Of course, the people are going to be uh, curious about it. And then the seizure of 89,000 acres of land in 1985. One day it's public land. The next day it's armed guards there. You can't access it anymore. And only months later did they ask for permission. The Air Force asked for permission from Congress to take the land. Of course the public is going to be interested in it. And the stories about exotic technology, the stories told by Bob Lazar, and then something like this where you kick in the doors of a guy take away his computer, shut down his website, and don't even tell him what it is that he's, what kind of transgressions he's, he's done. Um, excessive secrecy breeds more public interest. If you didn't want the public to be focused on Area 51, you wouldn't have so much secrecy around it. That's right. And so kind of like our, or my personal aim right here is that with the new arrow, all domain anomaly resolution office, which is the new UFO government program that is acknowledged and, you know, active, and that's the plan, that it's not going to become a Project Blue Book. They're going to be forward-facing like our friend Jay Stratton really wanted it to be about the UFO topic. So that is the thing. This is a cultural thing now. This is a huge cultural thing. And I'll say it like this. The Don't Storm Area 51 event, right, that was a great symbol of interest of public. So I think, you know, kind of where we're getting to in this conversation is that that thing that happened, it was the sequence of events. And I think it's abundantly clear now that 80% of the at fault is, is you and Bob Lazar. I think that is absolute perfect math. I think I'll say 10% to, to, to Joe Rogan or maybe even 15% and the rest remains to me. But at 80% is what you need to accept. I'd go about 20% Bob, 10% me. 30% Joe and the rest of it is you with maybe 3% to Dave Foley too. Oh yeah, yeah, we got a picture of him. You know what, I, I hope people will, if they haven't read Stephen Roderick's Rolling Stone articles, they go out and find it. It's, it's a lot of fun to read. Yeah. I, I know there have been discussions about trying to resurrect a Area 51 party uh, and they haven't happened so far. We had COVID in between. Yes. So maybe that'll happen again in a more controlled uh, environment where nobody is threatening to, to go into the base itself. Yeah. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, I think it was an indication 
an early indication of the public's great interest in, in UFOs and that topic in general. And that's one of the reasons we have weaponized uh, underway here. And also, we want to be able to share images, secret stuff, new testimony, new witnesses, things of that sort. I think we owe our audience some new images, don't we? Okay, we don't owe anybody nothing to begin with. And I do want to end on the thing. Um, Stephen Roderick, you told me you're my friend. I'm busting your balls because you said you're my friend. We need you, buddy, because you are a great voice. If you will dedicate some of your time to this, I, first of all, you got the greatest guys you can talk to about it, but I want you to be louder and I want you to take it seriously. So that really, because he's my, he said he's my friend. I'm busting his balls. Well, we, we could show him some images, right? Okay. Some okay. Well, not, yeah, one, let's show everybody. Let's one. Just one. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. I am not going to feel like beholden to put things out quickly and fastly. And I know you're not either, but let's give them two. How about three? How about four? I'll see your four and take your five. No, I'm going six. All right. Let's see. What do you got? Ah, seven. What do you got? <laughs> no, just fucking around. Um, okay, check it out. So we obtained some... There is a video from an active conflict zone. And we are providing seven still images from that video. This is not classified, and in fact, it is not contained within any known to us classified documents. In fact, I'm not even sure, I am actually pretty sure that any UFO study programs run by our government has this, even though it's a military filmed piece of footage. UAB task force doesn't have this. You don't think Arrow has it. Can you say what kind of platform these images were uh, captured from? Yes. So and I want to be really clear, too. Why, why are we releasing still images compared to a video? Um, I obtained uh, images. We went through it together to make sure, and we have done full background. I, I'm not in the business of uh, obtaining things that are sketchy. I know for sure that we can receive this together and we can put it out to the public there is nothing in this that would uh, even accidentally be harmful, but it is from a, a conflict zone, again, from Iraq. And this is uh, an image, and I'm not going to go into any of the details right now. I want the public to help us to engage these images because what we're seeing in this and the people we've spoken with about it, this is officially labeled UAP. This is not our asset that, that we know, we are sure of that. It is not any foreign nation's asset that is a known foreign nation, but it's fucking weird. And, and so we're just trying to see, can the internet, can UFO Twitter, can the general world, can people with more experience help us out with this? Because right now, our government, who, who they've officially labeled it UAP, but it hasn't gone to the right places. And that's why you and I get contacted, because there's this bottleneck of information from when something is being captured in a conflict zone and it needs to get to, I don't know, let's say central command, CENTCOM, and, and really seen, hey, this is an issue. So this image, what you're going to see, I'll be very clear. Let me show it now. 
as you can see, this is a very skinny object compared to its length. If you look in the top left, you'll see that this was filmed in white hot, which means that the background is hotter than the image, which by the way, just so you know, I can confirm with 100% that this object flew under controlled flight with intelligent control across the screen from left to right. Kind of looks like a torpedo okay. or a rocket. So I'm going to put this in big, bold letters on the screen. Not a rocket. And let me explain that for a second. This is a conflict zone. Maybe it's a, a rocket. So it's not a torpedo because it's over land yeah. and everybody can just look at that. In the air. Yeah. It's in the air. And, you know, from the video, obviously you see that, but I, we were able to obtain and release these images is what we're doing. It's not our job. I hope Arrow puts this out now if they go find the video unless they're provided it by journalists, right? So here's the deal. You would see, if this was a rocket, you would see white hot engine, you would see plume, you would see heat, you would see a, what they call signatures intelligence, you would see a signature. So what you're seeing here is interesting to me and others that came to me for very specific reasons. It's because it does not show the traditional signatures of what you'd see for reactionary propulsion. You, what you're seeing is something that appears to have non-reactionary propulsion. Now, have we heard that before? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting <laughs> thing, right? So I don't know what this is. It is a UFO, but it was something under controlled flight, under intelligent control, that has appears to have a propulsion system that is undefined yet by us. We don't understand it. And the shape, no control surfaces, no flight surfaces. Now look, if we get a reasonable explanation, we'll be here, we'll be helping people out with that reasonable explanation. But damn, have we had some really sharp minds on this so far? And we are still stumped. So this is a UFO filmed over Iraq, and it shows an object that passes through in video, and we're providing seven images, which somebody online will stitch together. And yeah, make. somebody can animate it for us. Yeah. So that's what we're giving people today. What do you make of that? What looks like some kind of disturbance behind it in the air. Yeah, I, I really, this was like, for like a long time I went through this, like, I went to so many people trying to figure out, people we know, like, that we, we trust, and then people that, that I don't know. It's not exhaust, though. It's not, so, it's a thermal imaging camera. So, what you're seeing in that image is just, it's it's thermal, it's, it's heat differential is what you're seeing. And that leads us to a very interesting point that we should make, but what you're seeing is, that line, I think, I personally think, and I could be totally wrong, but I think that it is an artifact of the actual capturing system showing what I would call with layman's terms like a ghost image, like as it goes. But other people have more interesting theories about what you're seeing because it's a thermal camera. It's clearly not an engine or engine exhaust. So... There's no comparable in anybody I talked with that could pull up right there. Comparables to rocket, comparables to, even though it's over land, like a submarine wake or something like that. That'd be the closest. So it's some sort of wake or most likely it's a digital artifact. But I don't know that it's a digital artifact. So I would love people to, to go after that and try to find out what is it. All right, UFO world, go to work. Let yeah, us yeah. know what you think of this. Animate it if you want to and help us figure out what the heck this is. Help our, our military figure out what it is because they don't know. Right, and so I think why we are releasing this, and I, I wanna be real clear on why we are releasing it, is because I think together between the 
uh, abundance, the, the archive of people that trust us, that come to us and say, okay, this is supposed to go from here to here, but um, somehow it's going to you guys. And again, we do it in a way where it's like, I, I don't even know who specifically sent, but I was informed about it through numer numerous people. The reason why I think we should put this out, it's not just so that people can have another image, you know, that they can make cool memes of, although I challenge them to do so. It's because we're tr I am trying, and I think you speak for yourself, but I think we're trying to get our new program, Arrow, to be transparent and clear and like Susan Go at the Pentagon to confirm some basic things about the Mosul orb. If she hasn't already by the time this airs, this is not a matter of national security. This is a matter of national responsibility to the citizens that employ you, the people that you represent. And so that's why I'm doing that. We've been promised transparency. That's the buzzword we keep hearing out of uh, Arrow and the people at the Pentagon who work with them. Let's see it. Let's okay. see it in action. And, uh, you know, we're going to provide these images now and hope people will take a look at them and help us figure out what they are, but also to encourage other people who are out there who've got something similar, who don't know quite what to do with it. We'll take a look at it if you want to. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have a, um, an email. I don't remember, but I think it's like weaponizedpodcast at proton.com me or something like that. It's on the website. But yeah, yeah, oh, send away, baby. Send away. Anyway, George, uh, thank you so much for revisiting Storm Area 51 right now. I got my flight suit pants. That's why in the desert. That was fun. I know it's been a, a hard few weeks, but man, I hope that everybody engages what we put out. Yeah, we're having fun. Oh, wait, wait. Last question. Last question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the fuck is this sweatshirt? Franklin Yellow Jacket. My high school. My my sister Kathy got me this shirt a while back. Franklin Yellow Jackets. That was my high school. Where was the high school? Stockton, California. I just never seen you in a sweatshirt, so it's very interesting. Anyway, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Studios available now for free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your shows.